Act One, Part One of Peg of My Heart by J. Hartley Manners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The characters in the comedy. Mrs. Chichester, read by Kelly Taylor. Alaric, her son, read by Andrew James. Ethel, her daughter, read by Melissa Buell. Montgomery Hawkes, solicitor, read by Alan Mapstone. Christian Brandt, read by Jason Yemenidzis. Jarvis, the footman, read by Son of the Exiles. Maid, Bennett. Read by Amb Sweet thirteen. Jerry, read by David Purdy. Peg, read by Jen Broda. Stage directions, read by Wayne Cook. Act One, the coming of Peg. Scene, the action of the entire comedy passes in a living room in an old Tudor house in Scarsborough, England. It is a solid, massive room on the ground level, opening into a garden. Window, center, and right, through the window center, can be seen pathways winding away between lines of old, tall trees to the sea, and through the window right can be seen an old garden with flowers in bloom. Jasmine and creepers climb up the porch. The room is furnished, for the most part, with solid old furniture. An oak table center on which are books, papers, magazines, methodically arranged. Further down right, an armchair. Down left, against wall, a writing desk. A grand piano right, on which is a mass of music, a marble statuette of Cupid, several framed photos, vases of flowers, etc. On the walls are some excellent pictures framed in oak. Lounges, comfortable armchairs, etc., are distributed about the room. The whole effect is of ease, comfort, and a good taste. A flight of twelve deep stairs run up and off at the back left. A door left. The curtain rises on an empty stage. Mrs. Chichester, a woman of fifty, hurries in through alcove right back. Jarvis enters left with letters on salver. Mrs. Chichester comes down to table center, and Jarvis meets her. She takes letters and reads. Then Jarvis goes up back, pulls open the curtains, and then goes down left to door. Wait, Jarvis, my son, Miss Ethel, at once. I must see them at once. Mrs. Chichester finishes reading the letter, bursts into tears, sinks down shivering and crying on the armchair right center. Ethel enters left. She has a copy of The Morning Post, folded back at the general news items. She goes across to her mother. Footman exit left. Mother, have you seen this? Oh, my dear Ethel. Enter Alaric right. Ethel goes to right of her mother. Alaric moves down center briskly and energetically into center, throwing his hat into the window seat at back. Hello, Mater. Hello, Ethel. Alric, my poor boy. Oh, what's the matter? What's up? We're... 
Go on. Are we really? Mrs. Chichester, looking at letter and staunching her tears. Our bank has failed. Every penny your poor father left me was in it. We're beggars. Oh, Tash. Tash and nonsense. It can't be true. Mrs. Chichester hands him letter. Read. Alaric to Ethel. Eh? Ethel, crossing to Alaric, hands him the morning post, with thumb on paragraph, and then sits on high chair right. Yes, look. Alaric, center, looks at paper and reads. Failure of Gifford's bank? Looks at letter and reads. Gifford's bank suspended business yesterday. Looks at newspaper. Gifford's bank has closed its doors, eh? Looks blankly at Mrs. Chichester and Ethel. Yes, we're ruined. Beggars. Now that's what I call a downright rotten blackguardly shame. Closed its doors, indeed. Why should it close its doors? That's what I want to know. Why should it? What rights have banks to fail? Why isn't there a law against it? Looking from letter and paper, at which he glances alternately. They should be made to open their doors and keep them open. That's what we give them our money for, so that we can take it out when we want to. Everything gone, ruined, and at my age. Alaric goes to table and puts down letter and paper. A nice kettle of fish. That's all I can say. A nice kettle of fish. All a boiling. Eh, Ethel? Pity. Mrs. Chichester moans. Alaric crosses to Mrs. Chichester. Don't worry, Mater. Buttons his coat determinedly. I'll go down and tell him just what I think of him. They can't play the fool with me. Don't you care, Mater? You've got a son, thank God, and one that no bank can take liberties with. What we put in there, we've got to have out. That's all I can say. We've simply got to have it out. I've said it. It's bankrupt. Failed. We're beggars. I must live on charity the rest of my life. The guest of relations that I've always hated the sight of, and who've always hated me. Oh! <laughs> Alaric crosses to right center to his mother, comforts her, and speaks to Ethel. Don't you think we'll get anything? Nothing. Alaric, unbuttoning his coat, goes limp. I always thought bank directors were a lot of blighters. Good Lord, what a mess. Mrs. Chichester looks up at him. What's to become of Ethel? Whoever shelters me must take Ethel as well. Shocking tough old girl. Looking across at Ethel. No. No? What? Charity. Alaric shivers. Cold-blooded word. What will you do? Work. What at? Teach. Teach? Who in the wide world can you teach? Children. Oh, come. That's rich, eh, Mater? Ethel teaching grubby little children their ABCs. Tush. Must. A Chichester teach? Ethel with imperative gesture. Settled. Rises upright to piano. Alaric 
determinedly buttoning up his coat again. Very well, then. I'll work, too. Oh, Alric. I'll put my hand to the plough. The more I think of it, the keener I am to begin. From today, I'll be a working man. Ethel, by piano right, laughs mirthlessly and superciliously. Ha! Huh. Alaric, turning quickly to her. And may I ask why that's ha? Huh? To Mrs. Chichester's centre. There is nothing I couldn't do if I was really put to it. Not a single thing. I know that, dear, but it's dreadful to think of you working. Not at all. I'm just tingling all over at the thought of it. Only reason I haven't so far is because I never had to. But now that I have, I'll just buckle on my armour, so to speak, and astonish you all. Leans on table centre. Ethel, right, above piano, laughs again. Ha! Uh, please don't laugh in that cheerless way, Ethel. It goes all down my spine. Joe's always telling me I ought to do something. That the world is for the work and all that. Now I'm going to show him. I say, what's today? Looks at date of newspaper. The first, June the first. Joe's coming today. All his family. They've taken Noel's folly on the hill. He's sure to look in here. Jarvis enters left with card on salver and crosses left center. Couldn't be better. I'll put it to him as man to man. Here's the cove to turn to in a case like this. I'll... What is it? To Jarvis, who holds out salver to him, picks up card and reads it. Chris Brent? Mrs. Chichester, rising, goes to Ethel. Oh, I can't see anyone. Nor I. I'm all strung up. To Jarvis. Tell Mr. Brent we're out. Puts card back on Salver. I'll see Mr. Brent here. Exit Jarvis left. Thank you, dear. My head's throbbing. I'll go to my room. Goes to stairs left round the back of table. Alaric, following Mrs. Chichester to stairs, passing up left, gets left of her. All right, Mesa. And don't worry. Leave everything to me. I'll thrash the whole thing out. Absolutely thrash it out. Come to me when he goes, dear. Yes, mother. Mrs. Chichester passes up the stairs, out of sight. Alaric, crossing to window up back, picks up hat. Awful business, Ethel. Ethel has come to front of table. Pretty bad. Really going to teach? Yes. Right. I'll find something, too. We'll pull through, somehow. Ethel, indicating door left. Mr. Brent's coming. Jolly good of you to let him bore you. Going to Alcove right. I hate the sight of the beggar myself. Always looks like the first conspirator at the play. The door left opens. Alaric hurries out through the Alcove right back. Jarvis shows in Christian Brent, a dark, eager, pleasure-loving young man of twenty-five. Ethel, for the first time, shows some animation as he enters and shakes her hand. Jarvis, exit left. Well, how are you? They shake hands. Fair. Draws her hand away, which she has kept. Your mother? Lying down. Alaric? Out there. Brent glances quickly at the garden. Then we've a moment or two alone. 
I suppose so. Oh, Ethel. He goes to embrace her. She draws back and crosses to couch left and sits. He follows her to left center. Glad to see me. Why not? He sits beside her, right of her. I am to see you more than glad. Why? I'm at the crossroads. Really? It came last night. Oh. This is the end between me and my wife. Is it? Yes, the end. It's been wretched. We've not one thing in common. There's not a word of mine, not an action that she doesn't misunderstand. How boring. She'd see harm even in this. Why? She'd think I was here to... to... What? Make love to you. Well, aren't you? Ethel! Don't you always? How can you say that? Don't you? Has it seemed like that to you? Yes, by insinuation. Never straightforwardly. Has it offended you? Ah, then you admit it. Brent moves a little nearer. Oh, I wish I had the right to... Yes? Make love to you straightforwardly. Then you wouldn't do it. Ethel! It's only because you haven't the right that you do it. By suggestion. Brent starts back in disgust. Why do you think that? You don't deny it. What a contemptible opinion you must have of me. Rises, crosses up left of table. Then we're quits, aren't we? How? Turns to her. You have a contemptible opinion of me. Why? Comes down a little. You must have. Every married man has a contemptible opinion of the woman he covertly makes love to. If he hadn't, he couldn't do it. I don't follow you. Haven't you had time to think of an answer? I don't know what you're driving at. Ethel smiles. No, I think you do. Brent makes movement away. Pause. What happened last night? Why, she moves towards her, then stops. No, I'd sound like a cad, blaming a woman. Never mind how it sounds. Tell it. Brent comes to couch knee on it over her. The more I look at you and listen to you, the more I realize I should never have married. Oh, why did you? Brent sits beside her, back to the audience. Why? Have you ever seen a young hare, fresh from its kind, run headlong into a snare? Have you ever seen a young man, straight from college, dash into a net? I did. I wasn't trap-wise. Good God, what nurslings we are when we first feel our feet. We're like children, just loose from the leading strings. Anything that glitters catches us, every trap that is set for our unwary feet we drop into. I did. Dropped in. 
caught hand and foot, mind and soul. Soul? Yes. Don't you mean body? Well, body, mind and soul. Ah, body anyway. And for what? Love? Companionship, that's what we build on in marriage. And what did I realize? Hate and wrangling. Then came the baby. Ah! She turns away. One would think that would change things, but no, neither of us wanted her, neither of us loved her. Look from Ethel. And then... Pause. I shouldn't tell you this. It's horrible. I see it in your face. Pause. What are you thinking? I'm sorry. For me? For your wife. My wife? Yes. Aren't you? He turns away. Pause. No. Pause. Just sorry for yourself? You think me purely selfish? Naturally. I am. Pause. Brent turns away with a sulky movement. Don't sulk. Let's be truthful. Sometimes. Brent suddenly facing her. We quarreled last night. About you. Really? Gossip has linked us together. She heard it. Put the worst construction on it. Well, what did you do? Brent rises and walks round table. I left the house and walked the streets. Hours. I looked my whole life back as if it were some strangers. I tell you, we ought to be taught. We ought to be taught what marriage means. Comes down right. Just as we are taught not to steal or lie or sin. In marriage, when we are ill-mated, we do all three. We steal affection from someone else. We lie in our lives. We sin in our relationship. Turning right, Ethel rises and crosses to the left of table. Do you mean that you're a sinner, a thief, and a liar? Ethel! Ethel sits left of table. Oh, take some of the blame. Don't put it on the woman. He turns away. What do you intend to do? Separate. The only thing. You don't doctor a poisoned limb when your life is at stake. You cut it off. When two lives generate poison, face it as a surgeon would. Amputate. And after the operation? What then? Brent, leaning over front of table. That is why I am here. Facing you. But if we generate poison, what will you do? Amputate me? You're different from all other women. Didn't you tell your wife that when you asked her to marry you? Brent turns away. Don't say those things. They hurt. I'm afraid, Chris, I'm too frank, aren't I? Brent leaning over at back of table. You stand alone. You seem to look into the hearts of people and know why and how they beat. Do I? It's an awkward faculty sometimes, isn't it? 
how marvelously different two women can be you and my wife again back of table we're not really very different only some natures like change yours does and the new has all the virtues i mightn't last as long as your wife did brent standing close to her over her don't say that we have a common bond understanding think so i understand you i wonder you do me that's just it i tell you i am at the crossroads the finger post points the way to me distinctly pause sits in chair back of table close to her would you risk it ethel turning on him what i'll hide nothing i'll put it all before you the snubs of your friends life in some little continental village dreading the passes through and then no it wouldn't be fair to you ethel slowly no i don't think it would however i'll think it over and let you know brent to ethel eagerly when she sets me free we could we could it is a difficult little word at times isn't it would you marry me i never cross my bridges till i reach them and we're such a long way from that one aren't we brent rises ethel she rises he puts his hands on hers and she moves away down left center in front of bench then i'm to wait comes down level with her yes do when the time comes to accept the charity of relations or do something useful for tuppence a week who knows when a woman has to choose between charity and labor who knows charity labor ethel moves to bench and sits a tiresome bank has failed with all our sixpences locked up in it isn't it stupid brent follows her to couch is all your money gone everything good god mamma knows as little about business as she does about me until this morning she had always had a rooted belief in her bank and her daughter if i bolt with you her last cherished illusion will be destroyed let me help you <laughs> how lend us money i'll do that if ethel looks at him i beg your pardon ethel looking down so you see we're both in a way at the crossroads brent seizing her hand let me take you away out of it all no not just now brent turns away to table center i'm not in a bolting mood today she turns to him saying chris some time perhaps in the dead of night something will snap in me the slack selfish luxurious me that hates to be roused into action and the longing for adventure will come then i'll send for you rises and you'll go with me ethel stretching lazily i suppose so he goes to embrace her but she keeps him off looking at him through half-closed eyes then heaven help you i want you 
I need you. Until the time comes for amputation? He turns away. You see, I don't want you to have illusions about me. I've none about you. Let us begin fair, anyway. It will be much easier when the end comes. Moves away down left. Brent, going quickly to her. But there'll be no end. I love you. Love you with every breath in my body, every thought in my mind, every throb of... Embraces her. My nerves. Down the path center comes a strange little figure, a beautiful girl of eighteen, shabbily but cleanly dressed in a simple print dress, a wide-brimmed cheap straw hat from under which hangs a profusion of short natural curls of gleaming reddish hair. She is carrying a bag and a paper parcel somewhat the worse for wear under one arm, and under the other arm is a shaggy, unkempt, and altogether disgraceful-looking Irish terrier. She walks quietly into the room, comes down right center, sees Brent and Ethel in the embrace, turns away and sits in chair right of table with her back to them. Please don't. It's so hot this morning. Sees Peg over Brent's right shoulder, straightens up with a quick movement, and swings Brent round. They look in horrified amazement at the strange little figure. Ethel goes to her. How long have you been here? Crosses to center of table. Peg, right of table, with a delightful, slight Irish brogue, looking up innocently in Ethel's eyes. I just came in. What do you want? I don't want anything. I was told I must wait at this place. Who told you? A gentleman. What gentleman? Just a gentleman. He told me to wait at the place that is written down on the card. Hands her a soiled visiting card. Brent is left staring at Peg. Ethel, in front of table, taking card, reads, Mrs. Chichester, Regal Villa. What do you want with Mrs. Chichester? I don't want anything. I was told I must wait here. Taking card back. Who are you? I wasn't to say anything. I was only to wait. Ethel turns to Brent. Brent left center is looking admiringly at the little stranger. Ethel pauses and looks at Brent, then turns again to Peg. You say you've only been here a minute? Just a minute. Were we talking when you came in? You were. Did you hear what we said? Yes, I did. Look between Ethel and Brent. What did you hear? I heard you say, please don't. It's so hot this morning. Brent moves up left. Ethel pauses. You refuse to say why you're here or who you are. I don't refuse at all. The gentleman said to me, he said, you go to the place that's written down on the card and you sit down at the house and you wait, and that's all you'll do. Just wait. Ethel, turning to Brent, Eh? Extraordinary. Ethel, coming back to table. The servants' quarters are at the back of the house. Yes. Ethel, center front of table. And I may save you the trouble of waiting by telling you that we don't need any assistance. We're quite provided for. Yes. Ethel, pause. 
If you insist on waiting, kindly do so there. Turns again to Brent. Well, we're not particular where we wait as long as we wait. They're sending us to the kitchen, Michael. Rising up to opening right. At the back of the house, miss. Follow that path round until you come to a door. Knock and ask permission to wait there. Peg gathers her bundles and her dog under her arms and goes to arch right upper on to top of step. For your future guidance, go to the back door of a house and knock. Don't walk unannounced into a private room. Peg and Arch. You see, ma'am, I couldn't tell it was a private room. The blinds were all up and the door was open. I couldn't tell it was a private room. That will do. That will do. And I couldn't knock on your door because it was a windy. Peg exit arch right upper and crosses to left. Ethel, after watching her off, moves down left, very angry. Outrageous! Brent crossing up to window right upper. Poor little wretch. She's rather pretty. Ethel, looking intelligently at him. Is she? Didn't you think so? Ethel comes up to table center. I never notice the lower orders. You apparently do. Brent comes down right level with her. She's the strangest little apparition. She's only a few yards away if you care to... Turns to Brent. Ethel! Comes down nearer to her. Ethel center. Suppose my mother had come in. Or Alaric. Never do such a thing again. I was carried away. I... Kindly exercise a little more restraint. You'd better go now. Crosses to stairs up left. Brent following her to stairs round back of table. May I come tomorrow? No, not tomorrow. Then the following day? Perhaps. Ethel, remember I build on you. Ethel looking at him. I suppose we are worthy of each other. Voices off right. Alaric off. Come this way, Mr. Hawks. I think we shall find some of the family in here. Ethel to Brent. Go now. Goes upstairs. As Brent goes to door left, Alaric hurries in through window right upper, sees Ethel, puts hat on piano. Wait a minute, Ethel. Seeing Brent. Hello, Brent. How are you? Disturbing you? No. I'm just going. Oh, don't go. I want to ask you something. He goes up to Arch and calls to someone in the garden. Come in, Mr. Hawks. Crosses to center. Enter Montgomery Hawks, a suave, polished, important-looking man of forty. Alaric comes back, introducing. Mr. Hawks, my sister, Mr. Brent. Hawks bows to Ethel and to Brent and puts hat on table center. Alaric to Ethel. You might see if the mate is well enough to come down like a dear, will you? This gentleman's come all the way from London just to see her. Do you mind? Bring her down here, will you? Ethel goes upstairs and out of sight. To Hawks. Uh, sit down, Mr. Hawks. Hawks sits in armchair right. Alaric goes down left to Brent. Must you go? Alaric left, 
shaking him warmly by the hand and taking him to door left. Sorry I was out. Run in any time. Always delighted to see you. Oh, I know what it was I wanted to ask you. Angel wife, all right? Thank you. And the darling child? Please give my remembrances to your mother. Uh, certainly. Look in any time, any time at all. Exit Brent left. Alaric closes door. Mrs. Chichester and Ethel, carrying a dog, a little French poodle, come down the stairs left. Hawks rises. Mrs. Chichester to the left center. Ethel to bench. Sits left. Alaric goes up and brings Mrs. Chichester down, right of her and looking up at her as she comes downstairs. Here we are, Mater. I found this gentleman in a rose bed, inquiring for our lodge. He has come all the way from dear old London, just to see you. Brings Mrs. Chichester down left center, bringing them together and introducing them. Alaric is center. Mr. Hawkes, my mother. Mrs. Chichester left center anxiously. You've come to see me? On a very important and very private family matter. Important? Private? Where the family, Mr. Hawkes? Mrs. Chichester, her eyes filling. Is it bad news? Oh, no. Is it good news? In a measure. Alaric helps Mrs. Chichester to couch. Ah, then let's get at it. We can do with a bit of good news, can't we, Mater? Wait, is it by any chance about the bank? Crosses to left of table. Hawks to Mrs. Chichester. It's about your late brother, Nathaniel. Late? Is Nathaniel dead? Alaric, left of table. Hawks pauses right at table. Nods commiseratingly. Ten days ago. I am one of the executors of the late gentleman's estate. Sits right of table center and gets out his papers. Oh. <laughs> Poor old Nat, eh, Ethel? Ethel, left end of couch. Never saw him. I ought to have been informed the funeral. Hawks seated right of table. There was no funeral. No funeral. In obedience to his written wishes, he was cremated, and no one was present except his chief executor and myself. He said he so little regretted not having seen any of his relations for the last twenty years that he was sure they would equally little regret his death. On no account was any one to wear mourning for him, nor to express any open sorrow. They wouldn't feel it, so why lie about it? What? Eh? I use his own words. Alaric, left of table. What a rum old bird, eh, Mater? Mrs. Chichester, right end of couch. He was always the most unfeeling, the most heartless. Now, in his will... Mrs. Chichester, checking herself. Eh? A will? Did the old gentleman leave a will? Ethel watches them smilingly and listens intently. I have come here to make you acquainted with some of its contents. Alaric, rubbing his hands gleefully. A dear old nut, I remember him when I was a baby, a portly, sandy-haired old buck with three jolly chins. Hawks gravely. 
he was white towards the end and very thin alaric left of table was he it just shows doesn't it how much did he leave goes back of table his estate is valued approximately at uh, two hundred thousand pounds phew sits back of table centre mrs chichester cries silently perhaps it was my fault i didn't see him oftener how did he split it up to his immediate relations he left yes mrs chichester looks up through her tears and ethel shows a little interest i regret to say nothing what nothing ethel turns away not a penny piece to anyone no his own flesh and blood alaric back of table what a shabby old beggar he was always the most selfish the most heartless hawks turning back the pages of the will and reading here it is from the will i am not going to leave one penny of what i have spent my life accumulating to people who are already well provided for mrs chichester rises and crosses to left centre front of table but we're not well provided for alaric rises no our banks bust we're ruined broke we've nothing alaric hands letter from table to mrs chichester who hands it to hawks not threepence hawks back of table dear dear how extremely distressing alaric back of table distressing disgusting hawks hands letter back to alaric who gives it to his mother then perhaps a clause in his will may have a certain interest alaric helps mrs chichester to chair left of table then sits again all express interest a clause did the old gentleman leave a clause when mr kingsnorth realized that he hadn't very much longer to live he spoke constantly of his other sister angela mrs chichester seated left of table but she's dead hawks looking up that was why he spoke of her never a word of me we'll come to that later refers to papers it appears that his sister angela married at the age of eighteen a certain improvident irishman by the name of o'connell was cut off by her family that man was a beggar it was a disgrace alaric checking her mater hawks continuing to read went to the united states of america with her husband where a daughter was born after going through many conditions of misery with her husband who never seemed to prosper she died while her child was still a baby mr kingsnorth elsewhere expresses his lasting regret that in one of his sister's acute stages of distress she wrote to him asking him for the first time to assist her he replied looking up you've made your bed lie in it she had disgraced the family he was quite right 
Alaric checks her. Mate, mate, he hasn't got the old gentleman's claws out yet. Go on, Mr. Hawkes. With death approaching, Mr. King's North's conscience began to trouble him, and the remembrance of his treatment of his unfortunate sister distressed him. If the child was still alive, he wanted to see her. So I made inquiries and found that the girl was living with her father in very poor circumstances in the city of New York. New York, eh? Fancy that, Ethel. New York. We sent sufficient funds for the journey and a request to the father to allow her to visit Mr. Kingsnorth in England. The father consented. However, before she sailed, Mr. Kingsnorth died. Alaric, seated back of table. Died. Too bad. That really was too bad, Ethel. Eh? Died. To Ethel and Mrs. Chichester. Realising that he would never see her, he made the most extraordinary provision for her in his will. He provided for her, and not for me? Alaric checks her and kisses her hand. Here is the provision. Reads. I hereby direct that to any respectable, well-connected women of breeding and family who will undertake the education and upbringing of my niece, Margaret O'Connell, in accordance with the dignity and tradition of the King's North, there be paid the sum of one thousand pounds a year. A thousand pounds a year? Fancy that, Ethel, a thousand pounds. Hawks reading. If at the expiration of one year my niece is found to be, in the judgment of my executors, unworthy of further interest, she is to be returned to her father, and the sum of two hundred and fifty pounds a year paid her to provide her with the necessities of life. But if, on the other hand, she proves herself worthy of the best traditions of the King's North family, the course of training is to be continued until she reaches the age of twenty-one, when I hereby bequeath to her the sum of £5,000 a year. £5,000 a year? I mean to say, £5,000! to be paid her annually out of my estate during her lifetime, and to be continued after her death to any male issue she may have. Mrs. Chichester looks up. Eh? By marriage. And me, his own sister. And I, who knew him as a baby. On no account is her father to be permitted to visit her, and she must not on any account visit her father. After the age of twenty-one, she can do as she pleases. Looking up. That clause doesn't interest us at all, Mr. Hawkes. Now, my dear Mrs. Chichester, it was Mr. Kingsnorth's wish that the first person to be approached on the matter of undertaking the training of the young lady should be you. Mrs. Chichester, rising. I? Alaric, rising. My mother. Ethel rises also and listens and watches intently. Hawks referring to Will. He said he would be sure at least of a strict upbringing in the best traditions of the King's North, and though narrow and conventional in ideas. Well, 
Really? Again, I use his own words. Still, his sister Monica was eminently fitted to undertake such a charge. There you have the whole object of my visit. Rises. Now, will you undertake the training of the young lady? Mrs. Chichester crosses to couch. I never heard of such a thing. Ridiculous. Alaric coming down left center. Tush, tush nonsense. Then I take it you refuse? Mrs. Chichester, right end of couch. Absolutely. Entirely. I should say so. Then there's nothing more to be said. Mr. Kingsnorth was of the opinion that you were well provided for, and that the additional thousand a year might be welcome as, say, pin money for your daughter. Gathering up papers at table, Ethel and Mrs. Chichester look at each other. They draw a little away to front of bench. Ethel, with a note of biting sarcasm. Pin money? Ha! Alaric, coming down level with Mrs. Chichester. Mate, Ethel, a cool thousand, eh? Mrs. Chichester, pause. It would keep things together. The wolf from the door. No charity. Mrs. Chichester to Alaric. What do you think? Whatever you say, Mater. Ethel. You decide, Mama. Mrs. Chichester to Alaric. We might try it for a while, at least. Until we can look round. Something may be saved from the wreck. Until I get really started. Ethel. Whatever you decide, Mama. I'll do it. Alaric turns up stage a little. It will be hard, but I'll do it. Crosses into center. All turn round to Hawks. Ethel sits on couch. Hawks, right center, smiling. Well? For the sake of my poor dead sister, I'll do as Nathaniel wished. Good. I'm delighted. Comes down right a little. Mrs. Chichester turns to Alaric. One thing more. Mrs. Chichester turns to Hawks again. The young lady is not to be told of the conditions of the will, unless at the discretion of the executors, should some crisis arise. She will be, to all intents and purposes, your guest. Our guest? Fancy that, Ethel. In that way, we'll arrive at a more exact idea of her character. Is that understood? Very well. Where is your bell? There points to bell upright and moves to foot of stairs. Hawks going upright. May I ring? Alaric going up left a little. Certainly. Want a sandwich or something? I would like to send for the young lady. Smiling, he rings. The heiress. Mrs. Chichester crossing to armchair right. Where is she? She arrived from New York this morning, and I brought her straight here. I had to call on a client, so I gave her your address and told her to come here and wait. Ethel rises. She ought to be here by now. Comes down above table. Jarvis enters left. Is there a young lady waiting for Mr. Hawkes? 
Young lady, sir? No, sir. Crosses left center. That will do. Jarvis moves towards door left. That's strange. There you are, you see. Jarvis comes back to left center. Oh, there is a young person sitting in the kitchen. Won't give me no account of herself. Says she's to wait until a gentleman calls. Can't get nothing out of her. That must be the young lady. May I bring her in? Mrs. Chichester indignantly. My niece in the kitchen? Surely you should know the difference between my niece and a servant? Jarvis at left centre. I'm truly sorry, madam, but there was nothing to tell. Mrs. Chichester in front of armchair. That will do. Bring my niece here at once. Exit Jarvis left. It's monstrous. Comes to center front of table. Alaric crosses to right, right of his mother. Stupid. That's what I call it. Stupid. Ethel smiles. Hawks coming round left of table into left center. Perhaps it was my fault. I told her not to talk, to come here and say she was to wait. She should have been brought straight to me. The poor thing. My niece in the kitchen. Goes back to armchair right. A king's north mistaken for a servant. End of Act One, Part One.